Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the coffee shop. I am your chief barista. My name is Rick Thomas. I'm very grateful that you are here. Our street address is lifeovercoffee.com. And so if you haven't been to our coffee shop, I want you to jump on the internet and come to lifeovercoffee.com. You can come into our store. We are a 24-7 shop. And here's the great thing is that we give all of our resources away. And so if you're looking for something, you're struggling with anger, you have a marriage problem. Maybe it's a parenting issue. Perhaps you struggle with fear of man. Maybe you need something on communication. It hardly matters what the topic is. We have resources in our coffee shop. It's really a big shop. And you can come in and take advantage of all of it. I would love for you to do that. And if we can serve you, uh, just hit the discuss uh, link at the top of our uh, website. And if you are a supporting member, you know where to go. You'll go to our private forums, and that's your spot, and that's where we will interact with you. Been doing that all morning this morning. If you're not a supporting member, that's just fine. What we would love for you to do is just Pop in your question. There's a place for you to ask. You can either type it out or you can leave an audio. You can leave an audio question and that would be fine too. And so either way, we want to serve you. And so let us know how we can help you. Otherwise, take advantage of the search feature and you can search the coffee shop and it'll take you throughout and you can read stuff, you can watch stuff, and you can listen to stuff as well. Well, one of our supporting members wrote in and they're asking, the question, am I a sinner or a saint or both? And they're struggling with this based on something that they heard uh, on a podcast or a radio, I'm not sure. Am I a sinner or a saint or both? And so in a few moments, I want to read the question that our supporting member asked. And because it was such a good question, not only do we deal with those things on our supporting private forum, uh, but sometimes I like developing them out into a podcast. This is episode 438 and just work it out because the question really applies to all of us. And so I trust that if this is of interest to you, then go to episode 438. You can read the show notes, what I'm about to share with you. And you can also listen to the podcast and you can watch the video too. And so take advantage of that episode 438. Am I a sinner or a saint or or both, okay? Now, before I get into the question, I do want to make an appeal. This is the end of the year, uh, and at the end of every year, we are a nonprofit organization here in the States, and so the reason we do give our resources away, or the reason that we can, is because of the generosity of people who support our community. And so if you have the ability, this is what I would like for you to do. If you would just pray and ask God to bring supporters to our ministry, that would be just good enough. Just pray and ask God to bring financial underwriters, people that will help support our ministry financially so that we can continue uh, to give our resources away. We started doing this years ago and just said, we're just going to trust God that he would move hearts. And he has, uh, but there has been a problem. And the problem is, is that our ministry is running at an all-time high as far as what's going out on social media, what's happening inside of our coffee shop, our student body and our mastermind program, the active forums that we have. Uh, the number of people that we're interacting with on a daily and weekly basis is 
quite frankly, it can be overwhelming sometimes. Now, that is a good problem to have, but however, the help or what's being requested of us is far greater than our ability to supply. And we do need more supporters to help us so that we can have better software, better peripherals, and, and even hire a couple of more people uh, that can help us carry the weight of the ministry. And so it's a good problem. I don't want you to hear any complaining here. Uh, but this is the end of the year, and people are more generous at this time of the year. And so if you would just pray that God would bring donators to our ministry, I would appreciate it. We do have one donor who is willing to give $50,000 if another donor will do the same. And so that's a matching campaign that most of us can't do. But you can pray about that, that God would bring one, two, three, or four more donors who can give $50,000. And I'm hoping that we can hit our budget of $300,000, and then that will uh, tell us what we can do uh, next year. And so if you'd pray about that, I would appreciate it. All right, so am I a sinner or a saint or both? Now, here's the question that the supporting member wrote in. She said, on the radio today, a well-known pastor says that as Christians— we should not describe ourselves as sinners saved by grace, but saints who occasionally sin. If we define ourselves as the first, he says, what a dangerous and miserable way to live, end quote. She goes on to say, as Christians, how much focus should there be on the reality of daily sin versus the spiritual reality of our identification with Christ and his holiness dwelling within us? What does this practically look like in daily living? Now, let me give you a caveat here. I don't know the context of what this well-known uh, pastor, preacher said, and context does matter. Also, she did not tell me who the preacher is, and for that, I'm very grateful because I don't want to make it about the guy. I want to make it about the idea that is conveyed, but it's important for you to know that I don't have context, and so I want to move through this carefully because I don't have the full transcript of, of what this person said. But what I do want to deal with uh, is the practical reality of, of sinning and, and saints, identity, and the fact that we sin. And is, is this even an argument that we want to make, that we shouldn't say it this way and we sh or we should say it the other way? I mean, part of this does feel like semantics, but again, repeat, I don't have the context, and so it's hard to know. But she's asking a very practical question, and we need to approach this question and, and think through it because practically understanding how to live in God's world is incredibly important. On Tuesday morning in your living room, Friday evening when you're in an argument with somebody, or Saturday afternoon when you are discouraged, living practically in God's world is important. And there is an operative duality here that, that we do sin and that if you are a Christian, you are a saint. Uh, but this radio preacher supposedly is saying that it is a dangerous thing 
to say I am a sinner saved by grace. And again, I have to think part of that is semantics, but it, but I don't have the context. And so let me begin this way. I want to lay out two statements for you. Statement A, statement B. And you tell me which one do you believe is more accurate. Here's statement A. I sin, therefore <clears throat> I am a sinner. Statement B, I am a sinner, therefore I sin. Now, I agree with the second point. I am a sinner, therefore I sin. I, do, I have no issue with saying that I am a sinner saved by grace, but I do under, I think I understand what the preacher is saying because I've lived long enough and I counseled long enough to know that there are some people that embrace a, a worm theology, such a worm as I, a woe-is-me mentality, a sin-centered worldview. And so if you it seems like what the preacher is saying, that if you say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, that there is a sin centrism here and that he is calling dangerous. And I would say that there can be because some people are sin-centered. Some people live like they're on sin hunts. And so if you put the accent mark on sin or saint, they put the accent mark on sin and not saint. And that is a problem, no doubt. But I'm not squeamish by saying, I am a sinner, therefore I sin. I have no issue with saying that I'm a sinner saved by grace, me personally, and it doesn't trip me up because I'm not a sin-centered soul. I actually agree uh, with how John talks about it in 1 John in this very uh, well-known passage. John says it this way, and I want to share it with you. 1 John 1, you know it very well, I'm sure. But as you hear these three verses, I want you to hear, notice how many times he says, we, us, and our. He's speaking about Christians, including himself, in this number as he says these words. This is what he says, John, in 1 John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. To say I am a sinner saved by grace, it is a good descriptor. I am okay with it. I would say that I am a sinner that is not fully saved. Now, I don't want that to trip you up. When I say that I am a sinner that, and I'm not fully saved, I am talking about the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. If you're not familiar with the ordo salutis, I would encourage you to look it up. It would be a delightful research for you, a wonderful study. And basically, the ordo salutis, in a simplified way, is the word salvation that is stretched out like a rubber band. And it's stretched out so far that it goes into eternity past and in, into eternity future. And like mile markers going up the interstate, there is an order to our salvation. There are points along this journey starting in eternity past with predestination and election and general calling. 
And then in the present, we have faith and repentance and regeneration and definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. And then in eternity future, we have glorification, which we have not experienced yet. And so when I say I am a a sinner who is not fully saved, it speaks to who I am today in God's world, meaning that I haven't experienced full salvation because I'm not glorified yet. Glorification is not my practical reality yet, though it will be my assured experience. I am eternally secure. I don't doubt my salvation at all. I have already wrestled through that. I believe I am in Christ. I'm in his hand, in the Father's hand, and nobody can pluck me out. I am surely secured, but not fully saved when you look at the whole spectrum of the Ordo Salutis, but 100% sure that I will experience full salvation at the point of glorification sometime in my future. And so part of the ordo solution, uh, the ordo solution, the ordo salutis is, uh, is that we have definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Now, what are they? Definitive sanctification means that we have all we need for life and godliness. It's like a child being born. You have everything that you need to be a mature adult, but you're not a mature adult right now. Definitive sanctification. We have all that we need to grow up. Progressive sanctification comes next in the Ordo. Progressive sanctification teaches that, well, because you have everything that you need to mature now as a newborn babe, desire the milk of the word so that you can grow into mature manhood or womanhood. Now, the implication of progressive sanctification is that we continue to sin. We're not perfected yet. That's coming later in the ordo. And so we continue to sin as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul talked about in Philippians 2. John MacArthur said it this way, and this is a great quote. This is one that you might want to put put on a a graphic and and put it on the Internet. Uh, John MacArthur said this, three sentences. Number one, we we are not dominated by sin. That's important. We're more than conquerors because of him who lives in us. Our identity is not a a sin-centered identity. Nobody should be in a a sin hunt. Nobody should be navel-gazing and living that woe-is-me worm theology. And John MacArthur says, we are not dominated by sin. Second sentence, we are not dominated by righteousness. Third sentence, we are dominated by conflict. Now, that is a great statement. We are not dominated by sin. We are not dominated by righteousness. We are dominated by conflict. Both of those things are true. Our identity is in Christ, but yet we struggle with sin, and that is the story of the believer. It is a battle. When Paul talked about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He had no qualms about thinking of himself as a sinner, but then he quickly adds, But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul also talked about how to live out being a sinner saved by grace practically when he was talking to the church at Ephesus. He was saying that, hey, you are Christians, and you need to grow up as Christians, but in order to do that, you have to recognize that uh, you are a sinner too. And so he told them that, hey, you Christians, you saints, I want you to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He, he, he acknowledged that there is a functioning reality in these Christians, and that functioning reality is sin. He says you need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He's talking about progressive sanctification here. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. God in true righteousness and holiness. In both of these texts, in 1 Timothy and then also in Ephesians 4, Paul understands that we are still battling sin. And if we don't understand war, that the war is happening, we may fall prey to deception and dysfunction. There is an implication that if we acknowledge our sinfulness, we will develop a navel-gazing, woe-is-me mindset. And, and, and I give that. I give, I give you that. A person can think this way. I know people who think this way. But just changing wordsmithing is, is not going to be a solution. That is a Band-Aid. The person needs to go inside of that navel-gazing and introspection, woe-is-me mindset and say, why do I think this way? And they need to have a full balanced understanding of what it means to be a sinner and a saint in conflict. We don't want to run from it. We don't want to mask it with uh, cliche wordsmithing. We won't find help if, if we don't recognize our ability to sin. There's an analogy here. Knowing that you are physically injured, knowing that you're physically impaired, it should motivate you to find help. If you don't know that, that you sin, don't believe that you are a sinner well, then there's no motivation. There is little motivation to want to find help. We want to own our sins. If we say that we have no sins, we, we are liars. There's no truth in us. And so we want to own our sins so that we can talk about our sins, so that we can find help for our sins, so that we can be free from our sins. There's something about honesty here that is healthy. And we do need to be honest by acknowledging what is wrong with us. Being honest about fallenness should not bind us to what we were before Christ saved us. No, it doesn't bind us to that, but it actually causes other things to begin to happen inside of us when we acknowledge that there's something wrong with us. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I want to give you seven points Seven positive things that happen when we acknowledge that we're sinners saved by grace. Number one is hope. It offers hope to those in need. I mean, imagine a struggling Christian novice. He comes to you on Sunday morning, and, and he tells you that uh, as someone comes to him, and they tell him that he should not acknowledge that he is a sinner. That sounds rather hopeless. If someone came to me as a young convert and said, you shouldn't acknowledge that you are a sinner, I would be thinking like, but I sin, <laughs> I struggle. One of my first 
disappointments as a Christian. I thought becoming a Christian that I would never sin again. And the day after I became a Christian, I was sinning in the machine shop where I was working. And I can still see myself there, standing there so disappointed. Where did that come from? I became a Christian yesterday. I need to acknowledge the reality that I am a sinner saved by grace. And when you do, it offers hope. When you say that you have a problem, you begin the path to finding a solution. Number two is integrity. Being honest is having integrity. I have a problem. God has an answer. If I don't want to talk about my issues then, well, God doesn't have a good answer for that because I'm not willing. This is what John was saying. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. But if you don't want to acknowledge it, if you don't want to talk about it, well, it's a hopeless, point number one. There is hope in acknowledging it. Number two, it's integrity. It's just being factual about the reality of what it looks like living as boots on the ground. And God can help us when we're walking in integrity. Number three, it exalts his goodness. Saying I have a problem and God has an answer, it speaks to his goodness. He is kind to humble people. I mean, if you say you have a problem and God comes to the rescue, I mean, a good God would do that. And so when he comes and receives help, when he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, it exalts his goodness, number three. Number four, it exalts his power. It lifts up the possibilities of what God can do in you. To say I am a sinner lowers me while promoting his strength in my weakness. Number four, it exalts his power. Number five, it exalts Christ. He came to help sinners, not just in salvation. Yes, praise God for salvation. Christ is the solution for the entire ordo salutis. He will help me to become saved. He will help me to progressively mature. And eventually, because of what he did on the cross, I will experience the fullest possibilities of salvation at glorification. It exalts Christ, and that's where I will land in Revelation 5, worshiping him. Number six, self-awareness. When we are honest about who we are, it perpetuates a sober self-assessment while not pretending to be be somebody that we're not. We want to have that kind of self-awareness. We don't want to hide our heads in the sand, and we, we don't want to get into cliche wordsmithing, nuggetology, and cute ways of saying things that kind of misses the point of what we need to deal with. It gives us self-awareness. Number seven, sin is real. Saying sin is not part of our problem hides the obvious, and it keeps us from finding help. And so there are seven reasons that being honest about sin's reality uh, is good for us. One, is hopeful. Two, we're walking in integrity. Three, it exalts his goodness. Four, it exalts his power. Five, it exalts Christ. Six, self-awareness. And seven, well, we're acknowledging that sin is real. Now, if we don't acknowledge that we're sinners saved by grace, well, there are some side effects to that posture. 
a person who's unwilling to talk about their sin or to acknowledge their sin, there will be side effects. There will be a revenge that will be acted out on you. And I want to mention seven of, seven of those side, side effects here. One is that you're just not being transparent. And there's no help for the proud. God is opposing the non-transparent person who won't be honest about what is really going on in their lives. And so there's a lack of transparency, number one. That's a side effect. A person that will not acknowledge their sin, there will be seven uh, horrible side effects. One, they will not be transparent. Two, they will have to live a life of deception. <laughs> if we say that we have no sin, we're liars. John is very clear. We'll not be transparent. We'll live a life of deception. Number three, it will begin to distort and even harden our conscience. Our inner voice will be going off saying, that was wrong, whatever that is. That was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You need to repent. You need to pull up. You need to stop doing that. But if we don't acknowledge our sin, we're not going to be transparent. We're going to start living a life of deception. Then eventually our conscience will become dull. It will become distorted. It maybe even become hardened to where we will not even hear it pinging us any longer. Side effects of not being honest about our sin, not transparent, life of deception, a hardened conscience. Number four, a sense of loneliness. You can't be open with people. I was in a church a, a few years ago, and I asked someone, I said, does that person struggle? And I actually mentioned pornography. Uh, and, and the confidant said, yeah, that is an ongoing problem with them. And one of the reasons that I was thinking there was something off base about this person is because they did not interact with, with everyone. They, they just weren't comfortable in a room of fellow Christians. Uh, it, it, there was an isolating effect. There seemed to be a sense of loneliness about this person. Number four, a sense of loneliness. Number five, isolating from others. And that's what happens once you start living a life of deception. Not transparent, life of deception, a hardened conscience, sense of loneliness, isolating from others, number five. Number six, it perpetuates sin patterns. The weight of your own sin coming down on you, you will be looking for an escape. Uh, you will start getting into sin patterns because you're not acknowledging it and you're not seeking help. And so it's just going to perpetuate, and as the conscience continues to harden, it's going to become worse and worse internally. Number six, it perpetuates sin patterns. And then number seven, you will start looking for those escapes. You'll start looking for comfort just to release the pressure that you feel yourself under. That's seven side effects for a person who's unwilling to acknowledge the fact that they are struggling with sin. Now, I know that some people would could be listening to this and say, I would love to acknowledge my sin, but there are hindrances here. And this is a legitimate complaint. If you're not in a, a safe place, if you're not in a community that has this kind of, of sanctification reciprocality, uh, then you could be tempted to hide your sin and experience some of those seven side effects. And so there can be hindrances. And this is a call for all of us to create an environment of grace, a place where people can come. Now, this, this is a husband creating an environment of grace for his wife to where she feels free to be more and more open so that she doesn't have to hide things. You don't want pockets of silence inside of your marriage relationship. That is cancerous. Uh, 
uh, in a family dynamic where the children do not have the freedom to to speak their mind the way that they uh, sense that things are going on inside of them because there's not an environment of grace that they are living in. Small groups can be like that. Churches can be like that. Any any kind of group that can create a hindrance that would cause a person to think twice before they became honest about what was going on in their lives. And so here are seven honest uh, hindrances. They're, they're hindrances to keep a person from being honest. Number one, they don't feel safe because of past reactions from others. And so if your past reaction was you, you know, punitive, for example, I've seen this in some Christian environments to where uh, if you acknowledge your sin, you actually get demerits for it. You're actually penalized for being honest. Well, that's going to create an atmosphere that's going to hinder honesty. And so they don't feel safe because of past reactions from others when they were honest about whatever it is that they did. Number two, they are nervous to terrify that anyone will learn their secrets. This is classic fear of man. Insecurity. They just don't want to be transparent. This is the Adamic shame, guilt, fear complex to where we want to live behind fig leaves, and that is a temptation. That is a hindrance to honesty. Number three, they can become vindictive and slanderous if you challenge them. And so if you uh, challenge someone about what's going on in their lives, they, that becomes a hindrance to honesty where they lash out at you because you were, you were poking in a place that was none of your business according to their view. And you'll see this a lot in the counseling office as well, where you're trying to help them and they say that they're there to work through their problems and they're operating under good faith or you think that we are. And then you begin to point out some things, even in a humble and careful and, and, and cautious way, but yet they become vindictive and even slanderous because you pointed this out to them. Number four, they recategorize sin so they can feel better about themselves. This is also a hindrance to honesty. When you begin to round the corners off of your sin and you justify or rationalize your sin, that is toning down the conscience, that is hardening the conscience, and it makes you feel better about yourself, but that will become an impediment to honesty too. Number five, they don't like to talk about sin, at, at least not their own. And that's just the proud person that, again, doesn't want to be honest because uh, they are into reputation management, probably. Uh, and so they don't talk about their sin, but they have no issue whatsoever talking about somebody else's sin. Number six, they may interpret sin talk wrongly. They can hear wrong motives. Like you want us to talk about what's going on in our lives, but I'm not sure of your motives. They may have an interpretive filter, maybe based on past shaping influences. You know, I did this one time before at the other church, and when you brought up sin issues there, then the hammer came down on you. And so they could interpret this, this free freedom to speak about what's wrong with us. They could attribute uncharitable motives to you because of past shaping influences. And then another hindrance to being honest is just an out-of-balance Christian life. This is the Christian that's not living in line with the gospel, and of course that hinders them from being honest about those their sins. So, so, that, so there are seven hindrances that will impede honesty. They don't feel safe because of past reactions from others. They're nervous to terrify that anyone would learn their secrets. Number three, they become vindictive and slanderous if you start poking around in their business. Number four, they 
They recategorize sin so they can feel better about themselves. Number five, they don't like to talk about sin, at least not their own. Number six, they may interpret ill motive to you by trying to get them to fess up about something. Number seven, they live and out about it out-of-balance Christian life, and because they're living this skewed life, honesty is just not part of, of their deportment. This is episode 438, Am I a Sinner or a Saint or Both? I say that I'm a bo- I am both. There should not be any shame uh, in that. We should be able to talk about what is wrong with us, but ultimately our identity The stake is driven down in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. All right, so a few questions for you as I wrap up. Do you sin? Then you are a sinner. If you sin, you are a sinner. Number two, are you born again? Well, if you're born again, then you are a saint. Both of those things can be true at the same time. Number three, Do you live under the gloomy cloud of your sinfulness? Now, if you do, you must recalibrate your mind to the gospel. Your identity is in Christ. And so the fact that you sin, if it runs you up under a gloomy cloud of introspection and despair, well, then there's something about the gospel that needs a recalibration in your mind because your identity is in Christ. The answer is not a cute cliché. And the answer is not to say that I don't sin because then the truth is not in me. And so if you live under the gloomy cloud, then again, a recalibration of the mind by the gospel is in order. Number four, do you live a saint identity, but you dismiss the reality of your sinfulness? This is the other side of the spectrum. If you live a saint identity, and you dismiss the reality that you sin, well, then you need to recalibrate your mind to the gospel, or you're going to fall prey uh, to some of the traps that I've already mentioned here about not being transparent, hardening your conscience, rationalizing a lonely life, isolated life, and so forth and so on. I know some people just, they, it's like they don't sin. I mean, once they say, once they are saved, there's a group, I can't remember the, the grace, uh, uh, there's a group, the great exchange, and, and, and they live, they don't sin. And that, that is a dangerous teaching because there's no growth at that point. There's just a lot of shenanigans going on and mental manipulations if you have a saint identity that dismisses the reality of your sinfulness. You're not under the domination of sin or the domination of righteousness. You are in conflict what John MacArthur was saying. So the question is, what does John MacArthur's statement mean to you? You're not under the domination of sin. You're not under domination of righteousness. You're in conflict. What does that statement mean to you? That would be a good conversation to have uh, with someone. And then finally, question number five, uh, six, rather. If you are born again, you're God's child. You are a saint and that is your identity. You're not a perfect saint. You will live in God's world by owning both truths. And so you want to find a community that believes these things. They won't judge you. They won't pummel you, but they will come alongside you and create an environment of grace so that you can feel free to speak about the true realities of what's happening in your soul 
so that you can live a fuller into a fuller identity that you have in Christ. My the question here is would you speak to someone about these things? Would you discuss how you can change and how your friend can assist you? There is a conversation to be had here with episode 438. Am I a sinner or a saint or both? I'm not interested in the cliche or the bumper sticker. Do we say it this way or do we say it that way? I'm interested in creating an environment of grace where people can be honest about the realities of their lives. I sin. This is what it looks like. I want to confess it. I want to be cleansed. I want to. I want you to spur me on to love and good works. I want to put off that former manner of life that is deceitful and corrupt, and I want to renew the spirit of my mind. I want to do that in community because I am a. I am the foremost sinner, but God had mercy, and I put the accent mark that I am a saint. My identity is in Christ, but I'm not disacknowledging the fact that I struggle. If you want to read more about this, I would encourage you to go to episode 438, and then you can look in the show notes. There are articles that are embedded there. Uh, There's articles that are also linked throughout the show notes, and you can jump on those and just go throughout our coffee shop, and you can enjoy uh, many other resources. And again, it's our gift to you. Thank you, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.